0: Well, to recap just a little bit uh, for those that may not have been here each week and might need a little bit of catching up to do, uh, we are in the middle of the season of Lent in the church year, which gives us a moment. It's a natural moment in the seasons and patterns of the church year to uh, be introspective, to look inside. And so uh, we have taken the rainbow and the first covenant given to humankind in the story of Noah and the ark. As this overarching covenant that God makes with his people that he continues to renew. And as you heard in the Jeremiah passage this morning, that God intends to not only honor this covenant, but to continue to develop it and make it new for us in ways that are personal and intimate. God is a covenant God on the move, And so we follow these rhythms of covenant and try to replicate them in our own life. And so we've been asking you to make room for new commitments. New commitments with one another. New commitments, uh, even recommitments with your spouse and with your friends. But in order to do that, confession is necessary. So during the last five weeks, this being the fifth one, we have been practicing confession together. It hasn't been too bad, has it, John? Okay, good. Good, that would have been awkward if you had had like this experience and started breaking down. That would have been, that would have been bad. It hasn't been, it hasn't been too awful, but one thing it certainly has been, has been life-giving. There's testimonies throughout the people that you're looking at. That have decided to take us up on the offer to invest their lives in someone else that they haven't previously done. So they've made room in their heart and life to have a covenant relationship with someone that they haven't. This is bringing new life to our congregation. And we can say praise be to God for that indeed. I had a chance to be invited into someone's home this weekend that I had not previously been to. Carson, I think I put a picture up there. I'd like to show you. This is our Hispanic congregation. They meet. Uh, right after us at 12.30 on Sundays, and and they worship. They're a little bit smaller than we are, but they have a vibrant community. And every Friday night at 7 o'clock, they have Bible study together um, in this family's home. And they invited me this week to come join them. And I brought Kevin along with me because I needed some help. (laughs) Um, And I needed some help with translation. And Kevin, I don't know. Kevin, would you say you're a translator? The same spirit that was alive in Acts 2 was alive in that room, helping make sense of languages from all over the world. Um, and uh, it was interesting. Uh, baptism, they wanted me to come and talk about baptism to their community. And baptism in Latino culture uh, has a more tense relationship with the Roman Catholic Church than what we would make, might experience ourselves um, raised in America. Maybe you do, but in the Latino world, this is a real tension, Okay. Um, and so here I was. I can't speak Spanish beyond Buenos Dias. Uh, I tap out at that point. I don't really can't speak Spanish, but um, I'm trying to give the history of baptism to people that don't speak English, and I don't speak Spanish. Kevin's not a translator, so we just tried. We worked real hard, and we smiled a lot. <laughs> In that picture are eight nationalities. I believe I have that right. Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Ecuador, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Peru, Jordan. That is not a Hispanic country. Um, And USA. One of these uh, gentlemen, uh, it's um, the guy with the shaved head sitting on the couch, kind of in the middle of the picture. He met his wife, which is uh, to his left, uh, met his wife when they both migrated to the United States. Uh, he came from Jordan, and she came from Ecuador. They met, they didn't speak the same language, but they began to date. They got married. Uh, he is getting baptized on Easter Sunday. Uh, he's making a conversion from the religion of Islam to Christianity. This is, yeah, it's okay to say amen. This is remarkable. This is the movement of the Spirit. This is New Beginnings Church. <laughs> you might not always see it. The language barrier is significant. But this is you, and they are you. They're going to join us on Easter Sunday because four of them are getting baptized. Uh, um, and we may have a couple from uh, the American congregation that are getting baptized on Easter Sunday. If you're interested in baptism, I'm not going to rush the process. We won't like try to rush you through and get you ready for Easter Sunday. but. We'd love to talk to you if you're interested either in remembering your baptism or being baptized. But this is your congregation, New Beginnings. And I was invited into their home during this season in which we're bridging out and building new relationships. And I wanted to share that with you. I'm not sure their story always adequately gets told. They may be small in number, but they're powerful in spirit. If you would ever like to join me on a Friday night and go with me to their Bible study, one they will feed you until food pops out of your ears, and it's good food. And two, they would love to see you. If you would ever like to double decker with me and worship not only at 10 p.m. but also or 10 a.m. but also worship at 12:30 and join me for their worship service, you're welcome anytime. All right, I don't speak their language, so you don't have to speak their language either. We can stand there and smile a lot. All right, and trust that the Holy Spirit's doing what the Holy Spirit has always. Well, this morning, I'd like you to take your uh, Bibles or follow along on the screen here um, to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. We'll read from verse 5 through verse 10. Hebrews chapter 5. You all ready? You all ready for this? All right. Yes. Yes. So also, Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. But he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, we're talking about Jesus here, in the days of his flesh, he he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one, able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all of those who obey him the source of of eternal salvation being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. I think maybe the translation that you were reading above me on the screen might have said the words uh, through loud crying and tears uh, to the one able to save him from death. He was heard because of his, what does it say? Ah, say it real loud. What does it say? Submission. I want to ask a question and you give me an answer. When I say submission, what do you think of? MMA. Okay. For those that don't speak that language, what is that, Stefan? Tell us. Oh yeah, he'll submit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Submission. Getting beat. <laughs> That's all right. There's an altar right here. We can join you. (laughs) Submission. Submission. How many come up with positive images in their mind? Yes. What? Share with us, Elizabeth. Yes. How many of you think of that? I'm going to make this awkward, but that's okay. We're a small church. We can do that, all right? We have to live with one another at the end of the day. How many of you think of the very same thing, but that is not a positive thing? Ah, okay. Differing opinions. Yes, yes, yeah. When you think of submission, what do you think of? How many of the, of that is the general category submission a negative thing? Just Amanda? Maybe. Alright. Okay. What do you think of? What does submission think you of? What does submission make you think of? Whether it is Uh, whether it is good, bad, or neutral for you. Uh, Elizabeth has offered her response. It makes you think, submit to your wife or submit to your spouse, submit to your husband. Yes? Oh, it makes you feel like you don't have a say. Okay, thank you for offering that. Anybody else? Yes, uh, Wendy. It's an act of love. I think this is exactly what Elizabeth was getting at. Yes, it's an act of love. Donnie? Extreme positive for you. Yes. Anybody else? Yep. Yes. Yes. Uh, Nate. Oh, man. It sounds like you guys excel at submission. Say that again. Man, how many of you have ever played athletes? Or been been athletes? (laughs) played sports oh boy I'm not feeling well y'all just deal with me yeah sports how well did you always do at submitting to a coach because right now you're making yourself sound like you guys are awesome at this (laughs) submission yeah I'm not sure I'm awesome at it I'm not sure we're awesome at it though these are great definitions I wonder if someone wouldn't mind offering what scares us about submission Megan Ah, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how our, our friends from other ethnicities would hear this word, and how they might think of this word. Uh, for most of us that I'm looking around, maybe not all of us, but a good majority of us, live in a state of privilege. Um, in this country and submission to us I think it's easier for us to, to latch on to the really good definitions and I'm not necessarily trying to lead us to the bad definitions but uncover this reality that submission especially maybe hearing it through other words and through other genders than my own it begins to take on a different deal especially the way which it's always been taught within the church Jenny you were going to say something um, so makes think? Like, I'm ah, why does it make you think that? Yes. Does anyone ever feel this way with faith? Go ahead, Kelsey. Yes. Oh, Rex. Well, we kind of along you know, what I think when I to the Lord, it helps me to submit to other Lord. Yes. I mean, uh, I but it helps me to... Well, I think if I'm faithful to the way that the Lord spoke to me this week, we will start more with where Jenny and Kelsey was speaking. And we'll end where Elizabeth Donnie Roger Rex has brought us. So, if I'm faithful, you are right, and the word of the Lord has been present. Uh, Submission is a very positive thing, though I think if we are to be honest with ourselves, maybe not all of us, but some of us, submission carries a connotation that is not positive. And in fact, even some biblical scholars have misconstrued this very passage of the way that Jesus might be submissive to his father. And it could be read in problematic ways, like divine child abuse. Where Jesus suffers, and this suffering is contorted to obedience. And through Jesus' suffering, he is made obedient. And so God puts him on this earth and makes him walk through hell and take on hell through his very body until the wrath of God is fully satisfied. This is a posture of submission that looks like MMA where God wrestles Jesus on the cross causing him to submit until he has taken on every sin of all the world and has died in suffering and learned obedience and now he gets to be the son because he has been beaten by the father This is not our theological tradition But that is a theological tradition that is very much alive and present in our world today. This type of understanding of submission, I think, would be very problematic. Hmm. Is this how we are to live our lives? Are we to submit to the suffering that you experience, that you're experiencing right now, that you're thinking of as I mentioned the word suffering? Are you to submit to it? through the long, hard toil of life, and then at the very end of your suffering, you'll be rewarded with a crown in heaven. What you will get through walking through all the injustices of this earth and this suffering is an obedient will that was shaped and formed through your injustices and through your oppression, and what you'll get is your heavenly reward. Is this the idea of submission present in this passage? That what we are to do with evil in this world is we are to grit through it, face it, not really necessarily name it but bear it, bear it in the ways that I'm going to get through it, I'm going to pull myself up through the bootstraps and I'm going to submit my will to the fact of injustice, what we also see in this passage is not a really peculiar phrasing of submission, right? oh I think this is a good thing, I just thought I might need to bring it up that it could potentially be problematic unless it was framed in the right ways. Not only present is that, but Jesus is referred to as what? He's referred to as the high priest. Do we have a picture? Oh, look at that. Here is a great icon of Jesus dressed up in the priestly robes. How many of us know what the high priest was and what the function of the high priest was in the Old Testament? Everyone pretty familiar with that? Just in case you're not familiar with that, the high priest was the one that stood before the people. It was like their pastor. Their main role was on the Day of Atonement. They would go into the tabernacle, eventually to the temple, and they would atone for all the sins of the people. And all of the colors on their robe, the colors that Jesus was wearing, all had, I think there were 12 different types of colors and shapes and all different things that they would wear and they would bring those into the tabernacle with great symbolic meaning of bearing the sins of the people. And there was only one chief priest to do this. And there was only one person that could enter the Holy of Holies where God were. we feel like God was present. And that was the role of the chief priest. When we think of Jesus as chief priest, Perhaps the image that we think of mostly is that Jesus took on all the sins of the people, climbed up to the cross, and here acted as the chief priest because he bared in his body all the sins of the people until the wrath of God was fully satisfied. When we think of chief priest, this is the posture. When we think of Jesus as chief priest, this is not the posture that often crosses our mind. He comes to the cross bearing our sins in it, and I'm not saying that's wrong because there's other passages in Hebrews which would lead us to think this. But did you notice as I read this scripture, I could tell how grossly, like uh, how how engrossed you were in the reading. I bet you did. Did you notice that sarcasm? Did you notice <laughs> that this is not? This is not at all how the Hebrews writer in chapter 5 talks about the function and role of the high priest. He doesn't mention anything about climbing onto the cross to satisfy the wrath of God. He mentions something totally different. This image of a high priest that bears all of the sins of the people reminds me of someone standing in the gap. Carson, there's a picture here right after this. Yeah, there you go. Someone standing in a chasm and with the reach of their arms holding both that which is separate from the other side. And of course in religious talk we would say that in Genesis chapter 3 humanity sinned to the point of disconnection of God and there was forever a chasm between God and humanity and so God called on Jesus to do what? Stand in the gap. Take on all the failures and the chasms of all the people and to stand there holding earth and heaven together. I think this is, uh, my professor of biblical theology in seminary would say, we're close to the kingdom here, okay? We're not, we're not entirely far off. But I've, inspired by, I've been inspired this week by another image. Not the image of one standing in the gap been inspired by the image of one that builds a bridge. Carson, the next picture. In this image there's active work being done. There's a participation. There's construction in progress making a highway possible from one side to the other. It's not necessarily standing in the gap as if someone could stand in the wharf of San Francisco and hold one side of the bay to the other side of the bay, they would get eaten by a white shark. If it would be possible at all for us to enjoy the beautiful scenic. Uh, uh, sites of Highway 1 in California as they cross over the Gateway Bridge and head north on the coast, we would need a bridge, not someone standing in the gap. Right? This passage begins to portray Jesus more, and I want to flesh this out for us this morning. It begins to portray Jesus more as one that builds a bridge than one that stands in the gap. And the tools of which he builds a bridge with are the very tools I feel like this side of the congregation was telling us we need to utilize when we think about submission. When we think about living as priest in this world, we need to live more submissively. But by submission, I'm not telling you that you need to be passive. Get to this in a minute. That you need to be taken advantage of. That your will needs to be in control of by a higher power. This is a narrative that women could tell far better than I could tell as a white male. Here is the wording In the days of his flesh, he offered up, he offered up not just his body with all of our sins. But in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. As Jesus is building this bridge between humanity and heaven, what does he build it with? Prayers and supplications and suffering and tears of blood dropped in the garden of Gethsemane. He doesn't merely just take your sin. No, he bears your whole life joining you as the Spirit joins us in Romans 8 with sighs too deep for words. He doesn't just expiate your sin so that you don't ever have to deal with that ever again. No, he bears in his own flesh and body and life the deep oppression in which you have faced, the injustices in which you have crossed, the sins in which you have committed. Mm -hmm. The image here, is that prayer? That delicate language between Jesus and the Father is the steel in which the bridge is made between humanity and heaven. So that when Jesus submits to the Father, he's acknowledging that his ways is better than our ways. And that his plans are better than our plans. And that his love is better than our love. And I would argue that all of humanity actually does not very good at acknowledging those things at all. And so the bridge in which he connects our fallen world and the perfect eternal reality of heaven. And in some way brings them together is he builds a highway of solidarity. In which our deepest prayers is the prayer of Jesus. And our deepest fallenness is what Jesus bears with him. And this is the work of a high priest. It's the definition I want us to work with this morning. As I wrap this sermon up, there's a a definition here. I think it's that one. That one. Priestly action. Priestly action in this passage. Looks more like the one called upon to receive, to bear, and to lift before God the needs that are common to us all. Is it possible to think about Jesus' work on the cross in this type of high priestly function? Not just standing in the gap so you don't have to, building a bridge so that you can walk from sin to new creation. Is it possible? Is it possible for you to think that your own state of fallenness doesn't have to be a state of fallenness that you live in for the rest of your life? Because Jesus doesn't just stand in the gap. He makes the highway, this is going to be cheesy, he makes the highway to holiness possible. In the sense that what's on the other side of this chasm is to live as if heaven was on earth. And Jesus doesn't just stand in the gap holding those two together so you don't have to do it. No, 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 no. He takes all of your deepest brokenness and he owns it as his own prayer and he builds a bridge that connects heaven and earth together so that we can walk on this bridge. We can live in this reality. Thank you. I don't know who said it, but that's really good. I feel like we're really tired this morning. That's okay. Sometimes we have these mornings. I'm not feeling well. <laughs> Someone got up and left right in the middle of service. It's just some days we don't win, right? But I'm not here to impress you. <laughs> and I don't think our worship team is here to impress you, right? Some days they're going to be more energetic than others. Coming to churches not about how much energy you feel, how much I entertain you. If it becomes about that, I need to find something else to do. And if you come to church to be entertained, it's, there's, there's, a, there's far better entertaining churches than ours. I want to tell you something true about the Father. And in some way, our worship begins to be that same bridge that connects heaven and earth. The tools. The tools we use in our worship is confession. It's a call to worship. It's the Eucharist. It's this bridge that says living life in these ways that we've lived in brokenness where we don't have to live that way. That Jesus has taken upon himself to bear and to receive and to lift, connecting us with the Father. And so all items of our worship really aren't here for you to leave going, man, Jake, that was a good word. That's powerful worship. I don't really care about any of that. What I really care about is that we're learning to walk on this bridge, <laughs> that we learn to live in least Summit much different. And so what I see in this passage is I begin to connect this type of high priestly function with the way that Jesus lived his life. Now think about this. To receive? What images of Jesus comes to mind when you think about his high priestly function of receiving others? Three come to my mind right away. The little children. And she received them as if they were the most important thing. And in that culture, children would be a disruption. He received the least of these. I think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, in which no good Christian person would ever find themselves hanging out with. But Jesus isn't there to be rebellious. No, Jesus is there to receive Zacchaeus, to see him, to acknowledge him. To listen to him. Might I dare say to humble himself. God the very Father, Son, and Spirit eating in the presence of sin. I think about the lady with the perfume. She broke all sorts of cultural customs. She was all sorts in the wrong. Man. But what does Jesus do? He receives her, right? No, this is far different than some abstract concept in 27 A.D. on a hill in Golgotha where Jesus dies for some abstract person born in Lee Summit, Missouri. No, this is Jesus walking into your living room, receiving you as you are, where you are, when you are, who you are. When I think about to bear, where am I at? Here we go. I think about the garden in John 17, in which Jesus begins to pray so intently for us that he begins to sweat drops of blood, and he intercedes for us. He doesn't just get done what Adam couldn't do. No. He receives you, Justin, Justin. And he bears your very insecure. You don't have any, so I can say that. Justin is the only person in this room with no insecurities, so I can call him out. <laughs> <laughs> he bears your insecurities. Takes it on as if they were his. Okay? You're not going to believe this, but I'm actually minutes from being done. Because I think what Jesus does here is he shows us how to live a life of submission. And it has nothing to do with passivity. The last thing here is the lift lift before God. So Jesus receives us. He bears us. And thus. When he dies on the cross. He very much dies with us on it. But not in some disconnected. Objective way. In which we say the sinner's prayer. And we're good. No. Jesus has wed himself to you. That every day of your life. He is making that highway connection. Between earth and heaven. Meeting you personally, receiving you, bearing you, holding you, and lifting you. This is the function of the high priest. Could you imagine what our world would look like if we lived priestly with one another? If you received one another in a submissive way in which you saw God in them, not your agenda in them. How would our world look if we sat down and we bared that person's insecurities as our very own? I'm talking about husband and wife. Wife and husband. I'm talking about those that are single and your friends. I'm talking about those that are teenagers and the community in which you go to high school. It's all relevant to us. Is it possible for us to live not in a way that's passive not in a way that I said James gets to take full advantage of me and this is how I serve him I'm in an abusive relationship and the way that I show him Jesus is I let him beat me to a pulp this is the wrong idea of submission I'm in a marriage in which there's some form of abuse taking place and the best way that I can be faithful is I can stay in it until I die this is a type of submission that I think gets to be very very dangerous. Is there another way to think about how we give ourselves to the other in the way that we receive people both in their good and in their bad? In the way that we bear one another's struggles? So it might look like if you're in one of these relationships that you have to receive that this person's brokenness is beyond your own health and good, and you bear their sin by taking it to someone that can get you help. It's not about washing your hands of this person, wishing them death, or whatever else extreme that we could think of. It's not about cutting ties to the point that you hope ill will on this person but it's receiving them in honest ways (laughs) for their good and for your own and to lift up. I would say that the model in front of us is prayer. And the last note, because church, I think we have to do a much better job of thinking about what prayer actually is. I think we have to think about receiving one another and burying one another, and building this highway between heaven and earth in our homes, with our kids, with our friends, with our parents. Oh, guys, I think it's possible. I think this way of healing is possible. Not just, KP, where you stand in the gap, and you're like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to grunt it out here, man. I've got it. I'm a man. I fish. Okay. <laughs> Not like that, though you could do that. If we were going we to pick anyone to stand in the gap, we would pick Kevin Brown, but then we, you would be second. Okay? You'd be second. But I don't think we need Kevin or KP to do that. I think what we need, let's just for an example, say that this side of the sanctuary was separated from this side of the sanctuary. You don't need a pastor to stand here and hold us together. What you need is to build a bridge. And I think Jesus models that. You need to receive one another. Meaning, sit down with coffee and listen. Humble yourself and sacrifice your ego at the sake of the kingdom and for Jesus and for that person. Listen. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Bear the burdens of one another. And to lift before God in prayer and action. Uh, the worship team can come and begin to play for us. See, what I want to say about prayer and action is that prayer and action, they go together like breath and air. All right? You cannot have one without the other. And church, I would challenge us in the ways that we communicate in the ways that we let the world know about what we think, about how we are to be Christian, that we be very careful not to dismiss the power and reality of prayer. Prayer without action, well, it's not real prayer. And so if there's a gracious way for you to build a bridge between you and your person of conflict to sit down and to receive them to hold them and to lift before God with them the realities of prayer is the rebuke would be okay to graciously say that prayer without action well it's just not prayer I don't know what you're doing but you're not praying you might be talking to the wall you might be folding your hands you might be in a closet on your knees I don't know whatever you do prayer without action is not prayer at all and action without prayer is self-serving. So if you take to the streets to bring justice to the corners of the world, but you are not praying, you're just a really good person. We must be careful, church, not to make prayer synonymous with doing nothing. That's on us. That's on us when we go to pray and we do nothing. Nothing can't be doing that guys that's not prayer true prayer is not idle i would say that prayers are very lives formed into the likeness of god prayer is building a bridge between heaven and earth it's being formed to act like jesus prayer is being formed to act like justice and mercy and compassion prayer is the most powerful way to act Because it submits to the perfect and righteous imagination of the kingdom. So if I have to read one more post that talks about how we don't need prayer, we just need gun laws. My God, don't you understand what you're sacrificing? What you're sacrificing in this comment? You're sacrificing the power and righteousness of God. And it's okay if you don't have faith. It makes perfect sense to say something like that if you don't have faith. But if you have faith, don't you know that our God is far higher and better and greater than any type of political reality? And so we do need to be honest when we experience injustice, when people are lying and folks are acting evil. We need to be able to name that ask God to shape our hearts into the way to act I believe if we pray we will be participating in the bridge building between the heaven and earth and the politics of this world won't have any idea what hit them <laughs> there's a way to be a Christian in this world guys without getting caught up in the bifurcation of the left and the right but we have to pray Otherwise, it's our ideas. And we sound a lot like this. Well, my Jesus believes in. Cindy, if you ever come to church and you feel like you're worshiping at the church of Jake's Jesus, you need to go somewhere else. Prayer teaches us that it's not Jenny's Jesus or Stephen's Jesus, Levi's Jesus, Mark's, Rex's, or Sarah's. Prayer teaches us the imagination of the kingdom of God that is not limited by the powers of this world. So it doesn't just stand in a cap. It, it builds bridges between realities that we didn't even think was possible. And this is the good news of the kingdom of God. Today as we are led into the Eucharist, Pastor Megan is going to lead us. But this table becomes the table of confession. It becomes the table of prayer. Last week, we taught you the sign of the cross. We are not a Catholic church, okay? But we have deep respect for the traditions in which the church throughout all of history has taught us. And So to make the sign of the cross is a sign of confession. It's not a sign that you're Catholic. Just to speak in honest layman terms. You don't have to do this. But sometimes you'll see people that do The most beautiful thing is that the Father in heaven came down into the pit of the earth receiving us and bearing us into himself. And he raised up through the very heart of humanity sending us out with the Spirit's help to the ends of the world. This is the sign of the cross. And it's confession confession that Father I need to build the bridge between my head and my body and my heart and be sent to the ends of the earth today friends I want us to begin to work on building bridges building bridges where we might have chasms (laughs) building bridges where we might hope for heaven's reality to break into the world in which we see very grave danger. I don't want us to be political here. Not like that. I want us to be Christian here. Let's bring the kingdom of God, which is a political thing, but we don't have to get into that right now. Let's bring the kingdom of God. That's what I want. I want the kingdom of Jesus far more than I want anything else, but it's going to require confessional prayer at Building Bridges. I think you get the point. How about I show up? Megan,